Welcome to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. I'm your host, Claire Sieber, global career and leadership coach, facilitator, speaker, and founder of Eating Your Cake 2, a business focused on helping you take control of your career and leadership success. Right here on this podcast, you'll learn how to amplify your influence, accelerate your career growth, create real presence, and have a true impact by learning the tools and strategies that you need to show up with more courage, more confidence, and more clarity. Are you ready? Let's do it. Meet Maria Andesich. Maria is an experienced, dynamic, and trusted leader with a demonstrated history of working across the public service, healthcare, manufacturing, media, and not-for-profit industries. Maria is highly skilled in thought leadership and implementation, partnership development, dispute resolution, and cultural transformation with stakeholder and staff satisfaction and well-being at the forefront of decision-making. As a leadership mentor and coach for the WA Police and senior executives and a regular contributor to the WA Police Leadership National and Statewide Conversations, Maria knows a thing or two about how to support our teams to be the best they can be. I think you'll love this episode of the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. Let's dive in. All right. Well, welcome, Maria, to the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. I am very excited to have you here today and hear all of the pearls of wisdom that I'm sure you're going to share with us today about churn and burn in the workplace. Well, thank you for having me. I'm sure I'm sure it'll be interesting. <laughs> well, I've already had the pleasure of, before we've even hit record, having you share two little, two little gems that I can already take away today and implement into my world. So I'm sure you've got lots more to share. Now, I have done a brief intro to you before we've jumped on here. But for those who haven't met you before or perhaps aren't connected with you online, would you mind sharing just a little bit about who you are, what you do and what a day in your life is like right now? Wow. How do you shorten that? <laughs> I, I'm currently, I work in the HR space. I'm HR manager for Mercy Care, which is an amazing not-for-profit organisation. I would like to term it as intergenerational care. So we do anything from kids right through to our older Australians. I'm busy doing all sorts of things, including mentoring with WA Police and setting up some mentor walks with department communities. I also have a pretty good network of fellow HR friends that we offload to and <laughs> make sure that we all hear each other out and have somebody to talk to. Also have three boisterous boys who are by far the, my greatest reward and challenge at the same time. So a day in the life of means, you know, I wake up at anywhere between 5 and 5.30. If it's an exercise day, I'll get up and go do some Pilates or something like that. Get them off to school, head to work and then deal with whatever the day is and I tend to not really have too much of a plan for the day because when I do it tends to not go the way I want it to. and I guess that's the nature of the world that we're living in at the moment is being flexible and being agile and making sure that we adapt to what's thrown at us and you know being in HR you tend to see the best and the worst of people are generally in one go so it's being cognizant that you're holding space for people at their most vulnerable time and whether that's a celebration of an event or whether that's mm. you know an ending of employment or parting ways you know it's 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 an emotional roller coaster day in day out so 
it's important to be able to take stock and recharge and refresh. So, and then I guess once I finish, I'll either go home and, you know, do dinner and homework and all the <laughs> things that you do as a parent and then pass out. <laughs> <laughs> and mic drop. <laughs> and mic drop. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. it's good. I still wake up every morning smiling. So, you know, I'm pretty grateful to do what I do and to be alive and to be, you know, healthy. So I've got to tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, that's, we were sort of touching on briefly before we jumped on the call is how do we find, how do we, we find things each day to be grateful for in a world that sometimes feels like that can be a little bit challenging to do at times. Now, you, you mentioned just that around mentor walks. And I know the last time we spoke, you shared a little bit with me as well around the impact that having mentors at various stages of your career has had on you and I know one of the things that a lot of the work that I do in the coaching space inside organizations is around you know who are your career board of advisors and the different roles that they are from coach and sponsor and connector and things like that and one of them that I do think is really important is having mentors so I would love for you to share a little bit about what your experience with mentorship has been like over your career. Yes I'm in a I guess a privileged position to be able to do both. I'm a, I have I have a mentor, but I also am a mentor. And you know, I think during different stages of your career, different stages of your life, various people will come and go into your life that add value. And I think mentors are really quite important because you know, it can be from a professional perspective and, you know, if you're having an issue at work or if you have some career aspirations, you know, they're the people that'll sense check it for you mm. and call you out on your bullshit if that's <laughs> if that's permissible yeah. in this podcast. It's totally and give you give you an avenue and you know perspective and a sense check. And I think that's invaluable because it is so easy to get caught up in our own stories. And it's so easy to get caught up in what we tell ourselves. And you just need mm. somebody to circuit break that to say, hey, hang on, have you thought about this? And what about this? And have you, ooh, you know, considered that perhaps this is their perspective or my perspective or somebody else's perspective? You know, my the way I mentor is, you know, it's very informal in a way. So they tend to come with me with, you know, we meet once a month or once every, yeah. you know, six to eight weeks and they come to me with a problem or a solution or an issue and we work through it. We workshop it, for example, or if they've got a real pickle that they need to work through, then we talk about it. And, you know, perspective is everything and people's perceptions are their reality. So, you know, it's understanding that that's that perspective and it's understanding how you remove the, emo- like the emotion out of it because yeah. we know when we're emotional, we're not generally rational. And when you get into that emotional hijack, some of the decisions that you need to make probably aren't the best decisions. That's why they say don't make significant life choices when you're in an emotional state mm. because, you know, your brain doesn't kick in that rational space. So having mentors to support, to, to guide, to call you out on it, to influence and engage with you is really important. And I've got different mentors for different things. I talk to different people for different things. And I think having one is probably doing yourself a disservice by having one is better than having none. So, you know, if you can find that person that is willing to offer their time, it is invaluable and it's so Mm -hmm. important. And it actually doesn't matter what role you have. You don't have to have a manager role or an executive role or a CEO role. 
anybody can be a mentor. I currently mentor a person who is on a visa waiting to get, you know, permanent residency and going through some of the hardships that she's facing, you know, I guess Mm. in reverse gives you a bit of gratitude, the fact that, you know, your life's pretty good generally. And, you know, it's, it's, I try and do things for other people because throughout my career, throughout my life, I've had some really wonderful people who've been pivotal in where I have come from and where I'm going to. And, you know, it's important to give back. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're spot on. You can learn different things from different people at all different stages of your career journey and your life. It's just being open to finding those people, but then also to your point about how can you give back to others in return and a way you, you know, you're always looking, who can I learn from? I think often some of the, some of the opportunities for growth that I think I have had have been when I've been in positions where I was the mentor and learning from the mentee. Absolutely. You know, whereas usually the expectation is that it's the other way around. So I think absolutely resonate with everything. I learned just as much from my mentees as Mm. I feel like they learned from me. And, you know, I think if you go into it knowing, it, knowing it all, then you're in it for the wrong reasons. I think, you know, so often we are so tunnel visioned in our skill set and our abilities and, you know, other people can offer so much more insight, you know, yeah. into their life. And, and I learn something each time I meet with them, each time I talk to them, I learn something new and life's a journey, right? You, you win some, you lose some, you learn and you unlearn. Yeah, love that. Love that. And I I imagine in your in your role as well, obviously your HR, HR manager for Mercy Care at the moment. And we were talking a little bit before we sort of hit record just around the general general vibe and feeling at the moment. Obviously in Australia, we're also in the thick of winter at the moment. It's been raining all morning. It's cold. I'm in my other boots. You've got however many pairs of socks on. Like it's just a bit grey. But we, but we sort of, to I guess, extrapolate that a little bit further out than just today. The last, last few years in general have felt largely uncertain, scary, stressful, and for a lot of people they're, they're feeling just a bit, exhausted and so mm. we'd love to hear from you in in the context of the role that you play what and particularly you know working in the community care space what has that really looked like and felt like for you and your team yeah it's interesting I've only been in the NFP space just what was that 16 months 17 months mm. it's interesting because I came from a corporate space into an NFP space and I think anywhere you go people are people fundamentally mm. And people are challenged by all different things. You know, COVID, that big C word that no one (laughs) likes to mention, but it's fact of life, has probably heightened a lot of people's thought processes, perhaps, emotional reactions to things, you know, having the whole, I've got to keep it together. You know, we've got some amazing people that work in our community space who, you know, our frontline staff who, for example, don't even have the option to work from home. Yeah. So, you know, they're going to work with the anxiety that, well, what if I catch COVID or what if, you know, my PP doesn't work properly and, and, you know, it's having those conversations with them to say, we've got you and we're doing the best possible thing we can to ensure your safety and making sure that you're looked after emotionally, physically, mentally, and, you know, we don't always get it right, but we really are trying our best to do so. And, you know, some people think, oh, 
I'm not talking particular to my organisation, but organisations wide, they're not doing anything and they don't care about us. And, you know, we do, but we don't always get it right. And I think there's an element of failure is okay as long as you learn from it and move on from it. And, yeah, people are tired, people are exhausted, and but they don't feel like they can take a break because I'm going to let everybody down. And, you know, then the opposite of that is, well, you end up sick and you end up taking more time off. So why don't you take some time off now to be able to rest and recharge and come back better? In some areas that's feasible, in some areas it's not because, you know, workforce shortages, we can't find people to replace those people. <laughs> and in some of our areas, you know, you've got to meet quotas and you've got to meet ratios. Um, so it's it's a constant juggle. It's a constant balance. Mm. And, you know, I was speaking to the Leadership 60 team this morning at with WA Police and you know, I'm involved with some of their mentoring and, you know, they've had something like 200 people resign in a very short space of time. And you think, wow, how do you replace those people? Yeah. And the cost of replacing people is huge. I think the latest data talks about $12,600 per person. And we're not talking about getting them trained and on the floor. It's purely the process to get them in the door. So what are we doing as organisations and what are we doing as people leaders to ensure that our staff rather than leave? And, you know, we talk about the great resignation and I just think I don't necessarily believe it's a great resignation. I think people have just probably had some epiphanies. Yeah. Where they've gone, you know what? What is my purpose? What is my value? Why do I work? And, you know, do I want to work for an organisation that, values its people or do I want to work for an organization that aligns with my values and not every organization is for everybody and you know I'm lucky that I have an organization that my values are aligned with not many people get that and I think people are starting to look for that and it's you know money's a factor but it's not the defining factor so you know what else are you it's putting in place to ensure that those people that come on board have the best experience possible but also stay so where's your investments? Are you investing in your leaders? And we're not talking about leaders being those people with the titles. It's leaders, those ones that are unique and those ones that have a voice and those ones that really will affect your change. So what are we doing to do that? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on. And the yeah, the, the great resignation is such an interesting topic, which, which we mm. could go on about for hours, I think, as well. And But I think you're right. Like people have really just had that opportunity to step back, whether whether it's been forced upon them or just by the yeah. very nature of the last few years, it's caused people to just step back and I think ask that question of like, what is it all for? And am yeah. I... am I? Do I enjoy what I do? Do I feel like my workplace cares about me? Do I feel valued? Am I... Maybe I am earning good money, but I feel like just a number or I'm being, you know, the churn is not worth it. The burn mm. is not worth it. And I think people are just asking those those bigger questions now. And like just tapping into burnout a little bit more, like the stats, the stats are scary. Like mm. I've got this report up here, a recent study from Employment Hero, and they've released some findings a few months ago in 2022 around this wellness at work report, which shares that 52% of employees rate their work-life balance as average or poor and then 53% feel burnout from their work. So like what we're saying one in two people effectively at the moment is feeling average or poor about their work-life balance and that they feel burnt out, which is terrifying. Absolutely. I think, you know, the concept of work-life balance, um, <laughs> I'm probably going against the grain here, it's a little bit of a fallacy, right, mm. because it's all about choices and it's all about the choices that you make and it's what's a priority for you in your life and 
you know, for some people working is a non-negotiable. They have to work Mm. to be able to put food on the table for them, for their families and whoever it is that's in their care, for example. So there is an element of I'll just take whatever it is I can do to be able to do that. And it's a hustle, right? It's it's an everyday Mm. hustle. When people talk about do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, you know, for some people that's not an option. And that's a reality of it. Like we, you know, these fads, great resignation, work-life balance, they are um, looking at a space where the reality isn't like that for a lot of people. And, you know, for the people that we care for, you know, we care for some of the most vulnerable people in our society, it's their reality is harsh and it's hard. And, you know, they look at some of these initiatives that organisations put in that really are not appropriate to them and they feel probably a bit despondent and a bit well they don't care about me so you know what are we doing as leaders and as organizations to actually hear those people and understand what it is that they want but work-life balance is about choices you choose to work you choose to have a life and and what's your ratio from one to the other I was thinking, I, was, I heard a thing on the radio this morning about the 30, 30, 10, 20 rule, which is 30% work, 30% life, 10% fun. Well, I've forgotten what the other 20% is. And I kind of went, wow, that's interesting because 60% mm. of the time you're trying to juggle reality, really, yeah. when you think about it. And, it, you know, where does it swing? Where does the pendulum go to, you know, having a bit more fun in your life because Mm. we all know when we're happy in our lives it comes out in our work and for some people their work is their life and that makes them happy and that's actually okay you know I'm a far better person working than I am not like I get far more enjoyment out of working than not working on the flip side I also get great enjoyment from spending time with my family and going out and doing stuff so but they're the choices you make Right. And I'm in a position where I'm fortunate enough to be able to make that. And I recognize that. And I recognize a lot of people aren't. You know, a lot of people are juggling two jobs, three jobs mm-hmm. just to make ends meet. So, you know, I think the stats, they're not surprising, especially given the current climate that we're in. They're probably a little bit sad. And, and you know, what are yeah. we doing about it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like what you're saying about the, the concept of work life balance. I'm not a huge fan of that word either I think it it already is saying to us that everything has to be perfectly balanced all the time which in itself ignites even more pressure for something that's just not achievable but I think what you're saying around just try where you can being more conscious to ask the question around what are my choices and how my choices leading to the situation I find myself in and what can I realistically which will be different for different people what can I do about that to to make it more aligned perhaps with where I want it to be and absolutely and I I like what you're saying as well and I've certainly witnessed it either in organizations I've been in in the past or even with with organizations that I've worked with around so we roll out and and well-intentioned initiatives Mm. well-intentioned initiatives that might be rolled out across an organization and then just don't land and can sometimes even do have a detrimental impact because then there will be groups of people inside the organisation potentially who can't access those initiatives, Mm -hmm. they're not available to them, and then that makes them feel like no one gets me and and no one cares. So what are are your thoughts on what organisations should be doing 
more of, less of, whatever it might be to kind of help with, with this idea around burnout and how do we support people more in that space? I think we actually need to ask the question. Like, <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like I'm a massive fan of that whole exploratory human-centred design space and I think that, you know, when we talk about, organizational wide initiatives and when we talk about culture at the end of the day everything feeds into your culture right so and we know as HR practitioners that culture is different in different areas of your business so you might have your overarching values Mm. but what are the core values that drive that particular business unit that particular area what is it that you know will make them feel appreciated and unless you ask those questions and actually get them to be part of the solution, you're not going to get buy-in. So if you're looking at, you know, some staff members, for example, providing that care in some of our aged mm. care facilities, you know, working from home is not an option, right? So when you roll out a working from home policy, they're going to go, well, that doesn't apply to me. So you get that disengagement. So you go, well, what would make your life easier? And you know, some of it's really simple stuff like fixing the squeaky chair that everybody sits on or having a, you know, COVID pending morning tea or having some, you know, snacks or having a pizza or, you know, and they seem to be really easy, simple stuff. And I, and I don't mean to demean in terms of that, but for some people that's actually quite important. It's that connection. It's that integration. Mm-hmm. It's having the time to actually step out of your day take five minutes to reconnect with your colleagues because in this world of busyness you know taking time out is really hard and and it's enabling and allowing that time and finding those little nuggets within each area that actually applies to them is really important but that takes time and that takes effort and the results aren't immediate you know Mm. when we talk about connecting with your staff members it's a long-term game it's not a short-term game it's something that you know we know culture to change culture you can implement stuff that are quick wins but it's a long-term game you're talking up to three you know three years sometimes five depending on how bad the culture is so if you're willing to invest that time and money you know because nothing comes free these days you know you'll see it at the end you know so how do we support those people just ask them the question what what would benefit you what if we did this or what if we stopped doing this or you know I I did an exercise recently where we looked at stop start change and continue you know what do we need to stop doing that we're doing that's not helping what do we need to start doing what are some Mm -hmm. initiatives and let's just spitball it right looking at everything that's possible what are we doing that's it's okay but probably needs a tweak to continue to do that and what are we doing that's really good at the moment and we want to keep yeah. doing it and how do you I don't know how do you embed those processes and make it part of the norm yeah yeah and I, I love what you're saying about you know it sounds so obvious doesn't it yet how yeah. how often do we hear stories where where you know again well-intentioned people well-intentioned organizations will invest so much time and money and resources creating huge initiatives or policies or whatever it might be that we then roll out to an organization it doesn't land not force flat mm-hmm. because we never asked 
yeah. never asked what matters yeah. to people and what's important to them. And I think that that for me really resonates what you're saying, but also tapping into something you said earlier around this kind of owning, owning failure or, you know, tr- trying and testing things yeah. and then owning when they don't work and just communicating that back, I think mm. goes a really long way as well because, mm. yeah, even though we might have tried it, tested it, it fell flat on its face, we communicated it back to people, which mm. goes to close that loop again that, you know, people have been heard, they've been seen, they've been valued, we've tried it, we've tested it, it didn't work. Okay, what else are we going to try here? And I think that that goes such a long way to building trust with people and respect as well. Yeah, it's giving them permission to fail, right, and it's failing mm. fast. And some of those things when you look at prototyping and, and all that, all those mechanisms that you have to be able to bring in initiatives, it's it's about having a concept, seeing if it works. If it doesn't, you fail, you fail fast and you move on and learn from it, right? Permission to fail doesn't mean you have to fail all the time. It's 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 trialing something different, mm. seeing if it works. And if it doesn't, why didn't it work? You still have to go through that process at the end of assessing why it didn't work and why did it work or yeah. what can you tweak to make it work. But you know, but that's a cultural shift. Mm. That's a shift in that dynamic of, oh, my God, I can't do anything wrong or I can't put an initiative that's going to fail flat. And, you know, it's so easy to have little quick wins to create buy-in. You just have to ask the question and see what they actually are. Yeah, yeah. And you, you've touched on a little bit of, of this question already, but what would you say sort of either in the current, in your role that you're in now or even previous roles, what do you think are some of the the biggest lessons that you've learnt along the way around what employees really need from their organisations? We obviously talked about kind of the idea of buying and co-creation, but what else do you think is important? Um, care. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I know. I, I heard you, I hear you laugh and I'm like, it's, it's honestly it's just a simple and caring doesn't actually mean you agree with everything. Yeah. Right? Yes. It, yeah. It's it's listening to hear, it's listening to understand, and it's the willingness to do that. And showing that you actually care about your people. Mm. And when you do that, they're more willing to put that extra effort into, you know, their behaviors to enable you to succeed. I was talking to, I'm currently at uni, you know, studying another thing to the <laughs> course, and I was doing an organisational behaviour unit and we're talking about citizenship behaviour and how, you know, people act within teams and within organisations and how do we promote what's a good, you know, organisational citizenship behaviour. There's a theory in that. you go look it up. But essentially... You know, if you understand and if you seek to understand, you'll end up with a far greater outcome than not, than thinking that you know and it falling flat. Because if you think you know and you keep putting initiatives in and they keep falling flat, you're going to lose the accountability and the trans, you know, transformation and your trust and all that change management piece, you're going to lose it and people are not interested, you know, but if you want them to actually be invested in it, listen and care about them and care what they say, it doesn't mean you have to agree, but at least mm. if they feel that they've been heard, they're going to, you know, have that additional discretionary behaviour to be able to support you in what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And caring for them as, you know, I, I was smiling as you said it because I, it it sounds so obvious yet. <laughs> yeah, I yet I will often have conversations with leaders who are like, oh, my people know that I care. I'm like, okay, how? 
how do you, how do you demonstrate that? What are the actions? What are the behaviors that allow you to ensure that they actually know? Mm. And so when you're saying things like, you know, actually, how am I showing that I'm listening and how am I you know, asking good questions and, and actually excavating information from people and then playing it back and demonstrating that I care through yep. those actions, that's absolutely how we do it. But I would challenge anyone listening, especially if you lead a team and you think, yeah, my people know that I care. How do they really know yep. that yep. you that you care? And what do those behaviours look like? But then also the human element how are we showing our people that we care? You're not just payroll number 5,001. Yeah. You're Sally Jones who has two children at home and whose husband works away and she loves to travel and she has a pet who's sick at the moment or, you know, whatever it might be. But knowing the human being that sits behind mm. the person that comes to work every day and has a job title and does certain tasks, yes, all those things are super important. But it, in my experience... You and, and to your point, you get so much more from people when you invest in them as humans. Yeah, how do you show up as a human being is mm. really important. And I think, you know, it's also understanding that how you feel you care might not be how they feel that you care. You know, we all have different wants and needs and, you know, we talk about love languages, for example, and some people like presents and some people like hugs and some people like affirmations and some, you know, like it's understanding what that tipping point is for your staff members. You know, I've got a, a fairly reasonable team and they're all different and they all have different mm. needs. They all have different wants. And, you know, I've got one of my staff members who's, you know, 12-year-old dog is not well. And, you know, she took him to the vet the other day and it was just a simple text to say, hey, hope your dog's okay. You know, and she came in this morning and was like, I really value that. And yeah. I just think, you know, it's just those little things mm. that show that you care. They don't have to be grand gestures. Yeah, you know? agree, agree. And that, but it's got to be genuine. Absolutely, it's got to yeah. be genuine. People can yep. see straight through the tick box exercise of yeah. I'll check in with my staff. And and yep. so, you know, if if there's an element in people that's like, oh, why do I have to do that? For me, that's where the work is. Work out why you think you don't have to do that. Or work out work out what the resistance is to thinking that you should do that first. Agreed. And then that's why employee surveys tend to fail a lot mm. of time because you ask the question but you don't do anything afterwards. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Oh God, I could get on a soapbox about employee surveys. We'll save that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> we'll save another that episode for, for another time. Now, question for you around just for anyone listening, perhaps that is feeling you know, in a space maybe at the moment where they're just feeling a bit blur, it's grey outside, it's cold, it's raining, I'm feeling exhausted, I'm feeling a little bit burnt out myself. Maybe, you know, maybe they feel like the walls are starting to cave in a little bit. What advice might you have for them around sort of where, where to start in terms of supporting themselves? So this is going to be a little bit unconventional. Love it. But I think you need to ask yourself the question is what's my part in this mess? is because at the end of the day, you are you and no one else is you. And you can only control yourself and how you react to situations. And once you understand that and you look at and go, well, why am I feeling like this? What's contributing to it? More importantly, what stories am I telling myself that get me into this? And then change your story. You know, I'm a massive fan of Brene Brown. 
Mm-hmm. I absolutely love her work on vulnerability and, and courage and compassion. And, you know, one of the things that she talks about is, you know, if something happens to you, what's the first thing that you tell yourself? And is it, oh, shit, you stuffed up again or I'm dumb or I'm not smart enough? And, well, how do you change that? How do you change that narrative that you're telling yourself? Mm. You know, an exercise I personally do at the end of every day because I think being in HR, you hold space for so many people, good and not so good, and it can be quite a heavy toll on us. So for me, what I do at the end of the day is I look at, you know, three things that were good today, three things to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And it's just a change in that mindset. And it's such a simple step to do every day. And if you write it down, you can then go back over the last six months and you'll notice what you're grateful for changes each time because it forces you to look for the good. So it releases those hormones that are positive and make you feel good. It's a bit like, you know, exercise. Mm -hmm. It releases those feel-good hormones and and you end up on a high. So question what's your part in this mess and what story am I telling myself and how do you change it great advice hugely powerful and I think yeah you're right we all we all have stories we tell ourselves Mm -hmm. we often more often than not we're not even aware of them but if we can start drawing more awareness to what is that almost that automatic default like like you said when I do make a mistake what am I saying to myself you're dumb you're stupid knew you couldn't do it Yep. start drawing awareness to those because it's those things that are going to impact the actions that we take, the feelings that we feel, mm-hmm. the, the the results that we therefore get and the cycle just keeps going around. So mm. I think and you'll think- find the more you do that, the easier you are mm. at calling it and stopping before that thought sometimes even starts. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I just think you have to, you have to work on yourself. You know, there are so many things that are out of your control, but the only thing you can control is you and your thoughts. Spot on, spot on. Second last question for you, Maria, and I ask this question of all of my guests is love. I, I'm a big, big fan of love to read, whether, you know, reading audiobooks, whatever it is, podcasts, quotes, love it all. So curious to hear from you. Is there a book that you've read or a quote that you live by or a piece of advice that you've received that you would say has really been a, a game changer for you in your career? It's probably not a career book. <laughs> It's funny. I I read a book when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. It's called Tell Me I'm Here and it's by Anne Deverson. And it's about a mother who works, who has a son with schizophrenia, mental health illness. Mm -hmm. And the, the sheer love she has for that, for her son, for that boy, and the amount of, you know, hardships that she had to go through and fighting the system and not getting anywhere and, and having to resort to some pretty extreme measures, you know, to get some support for her son all while she was working. And for me, that book, for a lot of things, I'm grateful to my English teacher that put that on the syllabus. <laughs> I guess for me kind of resonated because you never know what someone's going through. And it's just, mm. just be kind you know, you never know what someone's going through. And if they're flipped out at you, chance up, it's not you. It's, it's whatever's going on with them. So instead of biting back to go, you know, why don't you just say, hey, what's going on? I noticed mm. you were a bit, you know, upset or uptight or, you know, a bit anxious. Like what's going on? Is there something that you need? Can I help you with something? And it's just about being kind. And it's one of those books that's really resonated with me. And I think coming to an NFP space has probably heightened my awareness of it more so because, you know, we are dealing with with the system 
and we mm. are dealing with funding and support or lack thereof. And, you know, there are some areas of a business where we have to fight really hard for our, for our users and for our, yeah. you know, people that use our services and they are the most vulnerable in our society. So, you know, being kind to each other is really important. And then I think the other book, like I said, I'm a massive fan of Brene Brown and her yeah. latest Atlas of the Heart is just I've got that on my bookshelf. Yes. If you you haven't read it, read it. If you've read it, reread it again. Mm. I've got on Audible and she has some great examples in there of, uh, you know, essentially what story do you tell yourself? Yeah. It's really powerful, really good. By far probably my favourite book of hers and she's got a few. So I'd say, yeah, those two books. One has an emotional connection. Mm. One has that whole introspective. Fantastic. So Brene Brown, Atlas of the Heart and Tell Mm -hmm. Me I'm Here. The Mm -hmm. first one? Yep. I will pop links to both of those in the show notes. So if anybody wants to grab them, they'll be able to grab them there. Lastly, if anybody wants to connect with you online, ask you questions, I'm sure they'll want to keep in touch with you. And you do post a lot of valuable insights on LinkedIn. So tell us apart from LinkedIn is there any other way <laughs> that people um, can get in touch with LinkedIn's you? probably the the the, the best platform yep. I also have I've got a public Instagram account and it's just Maria Diandesi on there so if you want to connect happy to connect shoot me an email if you want it's no problem awesome wonderful well I will drop a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well Maria it has been I feel that we could probably sit here and talk for hours but I will wrap it up here and say thank you so much for your time thank you so much for your stories and your insights around how we can continue to show up not only for ourselves but also for the people that are in our care whether they're our teams or our organizations as a whole so thank you so much for being on the eating your cake 2 podcast with me Thank you very much for the opportunity. It was lovely. Well, that's it for another episode of the Eating Your Cake 2 podcast. It has been amazing to have you here and I am always so grateful for you taking the time to pop me in your ears as you go about your day or night. Remember to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Eating Your Cake 2. And if we aren't connected on LinkedIn yet, reach out and say hi. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then I would love if you would leave a review so that others can find the podcast and come and hang out with me here too. Until next episode, you've got this. You can do it. You are doing it. And remember to back yourself and what you have to offer. Hey there, thanks for hanging on and thank you again so much for listening to the podcast. I truly love having you with me, but I want to make sure that you know if you're ready to work together exactly how we can do it. The first way is through my game-changing Transform Your Career six-week accelerator program. This six-week online program is for busy professional women who are ready to regain control of their career and leadership once and for all. Go from feeling like just another employee to an in-demand asset in your company. Stop feeling lost, stuck and unmotivated and instead feel confident, worthy of earning more and armed with the tools to go out and get what you want. The Transform Your Career Accelerator cuts the crap and gets right to the key levers that you need to be pulling to ensure you are seen, heard and noticed at work. Add to this an epic group of like-minded women 
all coming together to share insights, learnings, and to build a new network along the way. If this sounds like something you need, then join the waitlist now. The link is in the show notes. The second way you can work with me is through my private one-on-one coaching program, where I only take a very limited number of clients each year by application. My six-month private programs are for you if you know you need tailored coaching and guidance now. You want a container of space and time just for you to work through your exclusive and unique goals. You don't want to wait for the waitlist in my other programs because you know you want access to my brain and my experience all to yourself. If this sounds like you, then book a free call in my diary today and let's chat. Lastly, if you want me in your organization to come and share my tried and tested knowledge with your team on how we can all collectively elevate our own leadership and career success, then jump on my website and download the services info pack or grab it from the link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening.